God, I pray that you would use your word today to help us to know you better and to cling to who you are with everything that we have and everything that we are. I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I remember once when I was in, in college with some friends, uh, somehow in, in a conversation, um, some lyrics from a song came up, and, and it was a pretty well-known song. I don't remember what it was or what the, the lyrics were or anything like that, but it was a very well-known song, and, and we just assumed that, that everyone uh, knew this, and most of us in the group did, but, but there was one guy who, uh, who didn't know it, and he actually admitted uh, that he didn't know it. He said, well, what's that song from? I, I, don't, I don't think I know that, that particular song. And um, apparently because I'm a jerk, uh, my friend and I looked at him and kind of made fun of him. We scoffed, like, how do you not know that song? Everyone knows that song. And then I stopped for a minute, and and my friend and I kind of gave each other this funny look because we realized that in that moment we had totally forgotten what song it was from. Here we are making fun of someone for for not knowing the song, but turns out we didn't know it as well. Like, wait, what, what is that song? Where is that from? And we figured it out pretty quickly, but it was one of those moments when you realize that you assume that you know something, you assume that everyone knows that thing, but then you have to kind of catch yourself and realize that you have to kind of remember, what, what, what is this really all about? This happens with, with words and spre- expressions all the time, too. We, we use a word or we use an expression and we assume we know what it means. We assume that everyone knows what it means. But if someone actually asked us to define one of those words or expressions, we'd be hard-pressed. We'd kind of be stumped. We wouldn't know what to say. So maybe if you've, you've worked in a, in a business setting or, or in a, a company or something like that and you have to work with team, uh, a team, maybe someone along the line has used the word synergy. Like we really need to get some synergy and then get some forward momentum on this. But synergy is one of those words that no one actually knows what this means, right? People use it, but if you stop and say, okay, what do you mean when you say we need synergy here? No one's actually going to be able to define that word, right? It's, it's a meaningless word. It's like the worst word in the, human, in the English language. But it's, it's easy for us, though, to, to use words or use expressions without ever thinking about what they mean or even really understanding what they mean. Over the past six weeks, we've, we've focused our attention on being more intentional as a church and reaching out into our community. One of the things we've said as we've worked through this is that we want to help people gain a life-changing relationship with God. But that's one of those expressions that's easy for us to use. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? It's easy for us to use that expression without really understanding what it means. It, can, it just be, becomes sort of a, an empty sort of a term for us. And we can admit that the idea of having a personal relationship with God is a bit of a strange concept, especially if we haven't grown up in church or we haven't heard that kind of expression very frequently. But it's also a very crucial concept for us not only to understand and wrap our minds around but also to experience in our own lives. The text that we're looking at this morning is Psalm 145. It's a great song of praise to God. I invite you to turn there if you haven't already done that. Psalm 145. Uh, You can just grab a Bible and look right in the middle, and it'll be toward the middle there. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 621. Psalm 145. As we look at this psalm, we're going to see a great model of what it looks like to have a real relationship with God so that we can begin to understand uh, that concept and to experience it for ourselves. So we're going to look at this psalm. As we, as we highlight the main themes here, we're going to see two aspects of uh, the psalmist's praise for God, for who God is and praise for what God does. So we'll look at it in, in kind of two sections here. First, we see praise for who God is. If you look at the, the title here, this is a psalm that's attributed to David. 
Uh, David was the, the most famous king in Israel's history. He was a man who had a, a vibrant relationship with God, who, who was a very imperfect man, and yet he sought to uh, walk with God and live in obedience to him. So, so David is writing this psalm, and this is how he starts it off. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And we notice right away how personal this is for David. Praising God or worshiping him isn't some kind of abstract thing that, that other people do or that should be done, but it's something that, that David is committing himself to do. I will praise God every single day forever. And we ask, well, why is he praising God? Well, look at the, the text here. Look at the body of what he's saying, starting in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So quite simply, David is committing himself to personally praise God because God is amazing. I mean, amazing is one of these words like awesome that we tend to throw around pretty flippantly. Like maybe you had a burger this week and you said this burger was amazing. Or, or maybe you uh, saw the fireworks so on the 4th of July and said those fireworks are, are awesome. We use these terms pretty easily and yet they're applied truly in, in their full meaning and full weight to God himself. And so we see David piling up the attributes of God, using as many words as he can to speak of how great God is. And you actually, you don't recognize this as you look in the English translation of this, but this is actually an alphabetical acrostic. It's basically using every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet to, in praise of God. So it's like praising God from A to Z, looking all the different uh, greatness of God. And, and we see that, that he's interspersing these, these piled up terms of how great God is, with expressions of how people respond to that greatness. So in verse 3, you look and you see these terms of who God is. He is great. He is said to be most worthy of praise. He is said to have greatness that no one can fathom. So these big terms of who God is. And then you see the response in, in verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. They're telling of your mighty acts. And so these big words to describe God and then this response of praising him before others. And the pattern repeats in the next verses. In verses 5, 6, and 7, we hear these big words of God, glorious splendor, majesty, wonderful works, awesome works, great deeds, abundant goodness, righteousness. And interspersed with that, we see the response. They speak, I will meditate, they tell, I will proclaim, they celebrate, they joyfully sing. There's a connection between recognizing how amazing God is and praising him personally and before others. Those who understand God, who know him, respond by praising and worshiping him. So if we're ever going to know what it means to have a life-changing relationship with God, it starts with understanding who God is. And if we're ever going to truly understand who God is, it comes from him showing us who he is. And so we get this really important verse in the middle here in verse 8. Look at that with me. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, and rich in love. This is, is fundamental to understanding who God is, and it's uh, an allusion or a quote from what God had said of himself back in Exodus. 
God had raised up a man named Moses and had used him in an important time to bring God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And and in Exodus 33, Moses asked to see the glory of God. And God says, he agrees to. He says, you can't see my full glory or it's just going to be too much for you. You can't see my glory and live. So I'm just going to kind of pass by you and you'll see kind of my glory in passing. And, And as he passes by Moses in all of his glory, he speaks these words about himself. This is Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. See, this is who God says he is. And this is what God's people have experienced of him. It's, it's fundamental to understanding him. He is gracious and compassionate. That means that he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us far better than we deserve. See, most of us think of ourselves as, as pretty good people. But compared to the perfect holiness of God, we're not pretty good people. We're really filthy, rotten sinners. We don't deserve to, to have anything good from God at all. And yet, God is gracious, and God is compassionate. This is who he has shown himself to be time and time again. It says here that God is slow to anger. I remember reading the Old Testament when I was a kid, and don't take that as meaning I was some kind of spiritual prodigy, because I wasn't. I was a a rule follower, and someone somewhere along the line said, you should read the Bible, and so I decided I should read the Bible. And some pastor somewhere along the line said, you should probably underline the Bible as you read it. I didn't know what to underline, but I just underlined a whole bunch of stuff in my Bible. If you looked back at it now, it wouldn't make any sense what I underlined, but this is what I was supposed to do, so I did it. I was supposed to read the Bible, I read the Bible. And one of the things I noticed pretty quickly as I was reading the story of the Old Testament was that God seemed to have an, an infinite degree of forgiveness for his people. So he would tell his people to do this, and they wouldn't do that, they'd do something else. And it wouldn't work out for them, and they'd have this big catastrophe, and God would punish them, but then he'd forgive them again. And then it would happen again. He would tell them to do this, and rather than doing that, they did this other thing. And it didn't work out for them, and God punished them, but then again, he forgave them. It was this, this cyclical pattern, again and again and again, God forgives. He has mercy. So God says that he is gracious, compassionate, that he's slow to anger, And the storyline of the Bible confirms that. We see it time after time after time. Not only is he gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, but he is rich in love. We hear this word love. Don't think of love as an emotion. Think of love as a commitment. See, the the word that is translated here, maybe your translation has steadfast love, maybe it has unfailing love, but the meaning of this word is kind of a, a mixture of the concepts of loyalty and commitment and love. My favorite children's uh, Bible, the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, has a great paraphrase of what this word means. It's, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is what God says of himself. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's rich in loyal, unfailing love. That's who God is. And that's why the psalmist says that he is going to praise God every single day. And it's not just for David personally but it's for all of creation. Look at verses 9 through 13 here. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So again, we see this interplay of, of who God is and, and how the people respond, that, that he is great, that his kingdom lasts forever, and the people respond by, by praising him, by blessing him, by talking about him. 
Having a relationship with God starts with knowing who he is and knowing him truly and knowing him personally. It's the same with with relationship with anyone. To have a relationship with someone, you have to actually know them. I recently heard um, Elton John's song, uh, Candle in the Wind, uh, again. I know a lot of you are probably huge Elton John fans, so you can kind of uh, empathize with me here. But I I noticed as I was listening to it uh, how odd of a song it is. It's a song that was written as a tribute to Marilyn Monroe after her death. And, and the gist of it is that Elton John is, is fascinated by her. Not fascinated by her as an object of desire like some people were, but just fascinated by her as a person. He thought he was really interesting. But if you look at the lyrics to that, that song, what he's saying, he admits at one point, I never knew you at all. He says at another point, I would have liked to know you. In other words, he's writing this whole song in tribute to this woman, but he doesn't even know her. He's never met her, so he's seeing her as an interesting person worth getting to know, but he never had the chance. And so there's no real relationship there. It's just admiration. It's just wonder from a distance. And it can be the same with God. We can be interested in God. We can wonder about him, but never actually have a real personal relationship with him. A real relationship with God starts with knowing who he really is. And knowing who he is starts with him showing us who he is. That's why the Bible is one of the greatest gifts that God has given his people. This is the revelation of God to us of who he is. We get to know as we read these words who he is. We get to know his character. We get to know that he is a gracious and a compassionate, loving God. These words contain God's revelation to us. They show us who he is. This is one of the reasons that reading the Bible is so important for us. It's crucial for us to get to know who God really is. And the Bible is is the only totally reliable source for that. You could go and ask 10 different people this week to tell you what they think about who God is. And you might get very different responses to that. But you don't need human opinions on who God is. You need to know who he actually is. And the Bible is the source of actually knowing what that is. That's where a real relationship starts. So the application here is very simple. It's not at all groundbreaking. Spend time reading the Word. Spend time in the Bible. If you want to have a real personal relationship with God, the the kind that David models in Psalm 145, you have to actually know God. So spend time in Scriptures so that you know who God really is. And of course, who God is is closely connected to what God does. So as we continue looking at this Psalm, we see what God does as well. Beginning uh, halfway through verse 13. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So we saw that God is great in strength, he's great in power, great in glory, and at the same time he is gracious and compassionate and loving toward his people. And now we see those attributes at work. For all the the power of God, he chooses to act on behalf of those who are most in need. He says in verse 14 that he upholds those who fall down. He lifts up those who are bowed down. Those who are needy look to him. He provides them with food. He he opens his hand and he provides for all. So God is righteous. He is just. He is godly. And he's near to those who are in need. 
In the first half of the psalm, we saw the great awe-inspiring power of God. Now in the second half of the psalm, we see how that power is used for the good of others, especially for the good of those who are most in need. This is a huge contrast to how power is typically used in our world, right? Those who have power tend to use it for their own good and for their own personal gain. This, of course, starts at a very young age. Go down to the playground someday and just watch what happens here. There's a lot more attention on this, which is good, but generally speaking, those who are bigger and stronger get the first pick on what they do. They will exert their will on others, and those who are smaller and weaker have to just kind of pick up the rest of the pieces. Those who have power use it for their own benefit. But God is different. God uses his power to benefit those who are in need. The psalm says that God is near to all who call on him in truth. What does this mean? To to call on God in truth means to call on him sincerely, not to call on him for help and then to kind of hedge bets by looking for some other kind of source in case God doesn't come through. So for Israel, this would mean looking to God for help, asking him for help, but then also kind of worshiping Baal and Marduk and other gods, trying to get kind of hedge the bets and see if they can get some other sort of security as well. And and for us, it might look like crying out to God in a moment of distress, maybe making a deal with him. God, if you you just do this one thing, then then I'll do anything. I'll come to church every single Sunday or I'll give out some money or whatever it is. And And then as soon as the moment of crisis passes, you continue on normal as if nothing had happened. Instead, those who who call on God in truth, those are the ones who have a real relationship. They they know that that God is the only source of true help, and they know that God will do what is right. Those who call out to God sincerely find that he is near to them, right there, ready to help. And so the psalmist can say with confidence at the end of the psalm, beginning in verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So in the first half, we see who God is and how people respond to knowing who he is. So he is a God who is powerful and strong and compassionate and loving. And the response to that is praise by those who know him, telling about who God is. And here in the second half, we see what God does and the response to what God does. So he is a God who supports those who fall. He provides for the needy. He is righteous. He's near to those who call on him. And the response is that people look to him. They trust him. They rely on him. And that's really a big part of what it means to have a relationship with God. It starts with coming to understand who God is, to know him personally, and then that relationship grows and and builds as we learn to trust him, to call to him, to look to him to meet our needs. And one of the most concrete ways that we express this is through prayer. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. And we can admit that that sometimes it feels like a one-way conversation, where it feels like I'm doing a lot of talking, but I'm not hearing God say a lot back to me. But at the same time, prayer is one of the best ways for us to start to understand God's personal care and love for us. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and when he taught his followers to pray, his model prayer really is revolutionary for our understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. You may have heard this prayer before. It starts off, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a a prayer that's a great parallel to Psalm 145, but notice how Jesus instructs us to address God. The first words that we say are, our Father. That is, is a huge deal. We are invited by God's own Son, Jesus, to address 
God who created all things and, and is awesome in his strength and his power and his wonder, we're invited to address him as our Father. That means that the relationship that, that we have with God is like the relationship that a child has with a caring father. And this is really great because it allows me to continue my streak of sermons where I mention something about my kids. I think I'm up to uh, three or four this week, so this is good. But the kind of, of trust and reliance and dependence that, that Psalm 145 envisions is so powerfully seen in the relationship that, that children have with loving parents. So what do kids do when they're scared? They immediately run to their mom or they run to their dad looking for comfort. What do kids do when, when they're hungry? Well, when they're younger, they, they run to their mom and dad and ask for some food. When they're older, they run to their mom or dad's fridge or pantry and, and take everything out of it. What do they do when, when they're proud of something they've done? Mom, dad, look, look at this. What do they do when they're excited about something? They, they want to share that excitement with their parents. What do kids do when they run into a problem? They run to their mom or dad and ask for help. I still do this today. I, if I ever run into car trouble, I call up my dad. Like, dad, I don't know what's going on here. I try to describe what's going on, and he helps me through it because I've learned to trust him. See, as young kids, we rely on our parents because there's really no other option. And as we get older, if, if we have good parents who love us and care for us, we, we learn to rely on them more and more. That's what a relationship with, with God looks like. It means that we are not orphans in this world. God is the true father that we need. Now, some of us have had uh, difficult relationships with our parents. Some of us have had great parents, and some of us have, have lost parents. But it doesn't matter what our, our background is. This is really good news, that we have a true father in God who loves us perfectly, who will never let us down, who will never abandon us, who will never do the wrong thing. We have in God a true father who loves us as his own dear children. We are not orphans. We have that father that we need. If you want to foster that kind of relationship with God, prayer is vital. God invites us to call him father, to act as, as his children, telling them everything that's on our hearts. If you look at, at kids and the, the way, especially small kids, the way they interact with their parents, they don't hold anything back. They'll just say anything to their parents. That's the kind of model that God gives us for how we are to address him in prayer. We can bring anything to him. Are you afraid of something? Talk to God about it. Are you excited about something? Share that in thanks to God. Are you not sure what to do? Ask God for guidance and direction. Are you happy about something? Praise God. Thank him. And the application of this psalm is not fancy and it's not groundbreaking. What I'm saying here is that if we want to foster a real personal relationship with God, we need to read our Bibles and pray. And there's nothing revolutionary of this. It's very simple. And yet, at the same time, it's very effective. Generations and generations of followers of Jesus have discovered that spending time in God's word allows us to know him truly. And spending time in prayer, bringing him our requests and, and all of our different things that are on our heart, it strengthens this relationship. It teaches us to trust. It opens our eyes to what he's doing in our lives and throughout the world. It's one of the most effective ways to grow a real personal relationship with God. Perhaps you've heard uh, this described as doing devotions or, or having a quiet time. I heard someone once call it a personal time of worship, and I think that's a, it's a good way of putting it. So we gather as a church, as a community, to worship together, 
on Sundays, and, but we also need to be gathering individually um, to be worshiping God as individuals as well, having a personal time of worship. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's reflecting on who God is, and then he's lifting his voice and lifting his heart in praise for who God is. He's reflecting on what God has done, and then he's thanking him and envisioning uh, global praise for God and what he has done. See, Psalm 145 is a, is a great model of us. It's a, it's a song of a man who knew God, and so he praised God, and he relied on him, and he committed himself to praising God for, for all of eternity. So if this idea of a personal time of worship is new to you, let me just give you a nice, easy entry into this. Take this psalm. Take Psalm 145 and maybe print it out and have it on a sheet of paper and just spend some time reflecting on what this says about who God is and what that means for us. Maybe you take a pencil and circle a couple words that stick out to you, or maybe, like me, you're a visual person, you can get really nerdy and get different color highlighters and, and highlight in blue all the things that describe who God is, and then highlight in, in uh, red or something else all the things that God does, and then highlight in green all the responses that we should have. This is where I really do this when I study the Bible. It's, it, it's very nerdy, I realize, but, but it helps me see and organize, like, what is this saying, and why is that such good news for me? As, as we see more and more of, of who God is and reflect, well, what does it mean for God to be powerful? What does it mean for God to be gracious? And what kind of an impact does that actually have on my life? What does it mean that I'm able to address God as Father? What does it mean that He has that level of care for me? And as you're understanding more and more who God is, and as you're reflecting on this, that you get to pray back what you've discovered of God from his word, because this is him showing you who he truly is. And you're able to pray your needs to him, and you're able to pray your thanks back to him. This idea of having a a personal relationship with God, I I understand, can be an unusual thing to talk about, an unusual kind of a concept. But those who have experienced it know that it's life-changing. It makes all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference in the world in a week like this week. When things take a, a hard turn, you need to know that, that God is the king. You need to know that he is powerful, that, that he is watching over his creation. You need to know that God is totally in control and totally reliable. It's a scary thing to go through life as an orphan. You have no security, no home base, no safe place, nowhere to turn when things get ugly. And many of us are living in that, that kind of attitude, that kind of place, living as orphans. But there is a God who loves us far more than we ever dreamed possible. A God who loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. He is our true Father, and He invites us to call Him Father, to be His children. That's what a relationship with God looks like. That's a beautiful thing. Please join me in prayer. God, we sing, we confess that, that we want to know you. At the same time, we sing and confess these, these songs of who you are, that you are holy and righteous, that you are the king, the only king. And those are big words. They can be scary concepts to really wrap our minds around. Yet at the same time, you invite us to call you Father. You invite us into a relationship where we are your children. God, I pray that you would bring us to that point of having a real, vibrant relationship with God. Don't allow us to just 
use that expression and not think about what it means and don't allow us to use that expression, never be able to experience it ourselves. We want to know you, to be your children. We want to call you our Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.